Thanks, team. We're really blessed with some faithful servants amongst our young people, aren't we? I was looking up here this morning thinking the oldest one's got to be about, what, 23? Something like that, 22? We've got young person on the sound, old person on the projector. <laughs> We've got some faithful oldies as well. Old person in the front speaking. But thank you, young people. You've blessed us this morning. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to John chapter 9. If you'd prefer, you can read along, read along on the screen. It's John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? One of the reasons I love this story so much is that I have ridiculously bad eyesight. Do any of you have really bad eyesight? Yes, don't be shy. Um, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, but when I was young, I had an accident and the sight in my left eye was very badly damaged. So if I go for an eye test and I shut my right eye, I can see the great big H on the chart. And that's about it. Yes, no, I can't see the ones down the bottom. Um, I have quite a big blind spot. So unless I turn anyone over there, I can't see that you're there. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can go to sleep. <laughs> um, thankfully, my right eye has always been very good. So I've learned to compensate for the bad vision in my left eye, but now that I've started getting older, my right eye has started to deteriorate as well. So without my glasses, you all look very blurry. Some of you might understand what that's like. That can have its challenges, especially in the bathroom. Those of you who have good eyesight would not know how similar deodorant and hairspray look. That's a mistake you'll only make once. <laughs> and living in a blurry world does have its challenges. And I'm very grateful for the technology and the knowledge that gives me these glasses. But it's not just poor eyesight that makes our worlds blurry. As we look at this miracle that we're going to read a little bit more about in a moment, I want us to think about that. What makes our world blurry? What hinders our sight, in particular our spiritual sight? And what can we learn from how Jesus dealt with a man whose physical blindness made his world very dark? What can we, what can we learn from how Jesus dealt with him that helps us when our spiritual sight gets blurred? So what what might cause our spiritual sight to be blurred? For me, it's things like this. We have some friends who we grew up with. We all went to church together. We got married and we moved to the Central Coast together at around about the same time. And then we had started having babies together. And Kim, my friend and I, were pregnant with our first 
babies at about the same time. We were blessed with Brendan. Their first child was Tom. Tom died about two years ago at the age of 21 after a life of constant struggle. He never walked, he never talked, he never fed himself, he had heaps of operations, he lived with pain and suffering his whole life. I don't understand that. That makes my world blurry. And there's other stuff too. I know a number of people who've been in what they thought was a very happy marriage. And one day their partner just walked out on them. There's stuff on the news that blurs our spiritual sight. 200 little girls are kidnapped from a school in Nigeria. People are asleep in their beds and they have guns fired at them by cars driving by. And then there's all of our personal struggles, the things that are happening in our lives that we just don't understand. We live in a world where there's more questions than there are answers often. And that blurs our spiritual sight. It makes us ask questions, doesn't it, about life, about God, about why does this happen, about why we can't understand things sometimes. And I think in this story, despite hearing about an amazing miracle, we can also find some answers to some of those questions and also learn some things that can help us when we can't understand what's going on, when our sight is blurry, when our world gets blurry. And the first thing that I think we can learn comes out of those two verses that we've already read. Did you notice that the disciples when they came across the blind man, they noticed that he was blind, but they didn't say, Jesus, is there anything we can do to help him? Is there any hope for him? What can we do to heal him? They didn't ask that. All they said was, why is he blind? What did he do to deserve this? Who can we blame for his blindness? How often do we deal with our struggles like that? We look for a reason. We look for someone to blame. But let's look at what Jesus says. Verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Why was the man blind? It wasn't because of some sin or someone's sin in his family, or some other reason. But Jesus says it very clearly. It was so that the power of God could be displayed in his life. Maybe you're facing an obstacle now, an obstacle in your health or in your finances, and that's making your world blurry. Maybe you're at that point where you're asking why. Or you're looking for someone to blame. Think about this. Maybe, maybe you're going through what you're going through so that the power of God can be displayed in your life. I'll never forget Tom's funeral. There were hundreds of people there to celebrate the life of this boy who never did anything for himself. 
And one after the other, they stood to say, my life was better for knowing Tom. I'm a different person because I knew Tom. You would never choose a life like that for your child. But there was no doubt about it, God was glorified in his life. So that's the first thing when life gets blurry. Don't get dragged into the blame game. And don't get bogged down with asking why. Sometimes there's no answer for the why question. Things happen. Bad things happen. It's the result of the messed up world that we lived in, that we live in. But in it, God's power is displayed. Let's read on. Verse 6. Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. It's really bizarre if you think about it. You've got this blind guy and he overhears the disciples talking about whose fault is it that he's blind. Is it sin? Is it his parents' sin? And I imagine it's not an argument he hasn't heard before. And then Jesus walks up to him and he doesn't say a word. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the son of God, you're blind, I can heal you. He doesn't say anything like that. The guy simply hears this noise. Now, if I was telling this story at Ignite on a Friday night, I would demonstrate the noise because teenagers love that kind of stuff. But we're civilised people here on a Sunday morning, aren't we? So, you know the sound. You can imagine it, can't you? The man hears this sound and he must have been thinking, what was that? Did someone, did someone just spit next to me? And Jesus spits in the dirt and he mixes saliva and dirt together and he makes mud. It's really gross, isn't it? And then he smears it on the guy's face and over his eyes. And the guy must have been thinking, these guys are talking about how it's my fault that I'm blind and now some stranger has just spit and put mud all over my face and I heard a sound and it was really gross. And if I was the blind guy, I'd be thinking, I am really not having a good day. <laughs> and then Jesus speaks. And what does he say? He says, go. Go to the pool of Siloam. And what is so crazy is that the man, muddy face and all, just gets up and goes just like that. He instantly obeys. The Bible says, and so the man went and washed and came back seeing. I think it's interesting that when, that when Jesus said, go and wash, the guy didn't say, I'm going to have to pray about this for a while. I'll get back to you. I'm going to spend some really special time in prayer and then I'll let you know if I think that's what I should do. Or he didn't say, you know, I've really got a lot on my plate at the moment. I've got work commitments. I've got family commitments. I've got a really big study load. 
and I know you need me to do this, but I'll need to wait till things settle down a little bit. There was none of that. He simply, immediately obeyed. And as a result, a guy that had never seen before ever now understood what blue was and he understood what a tree looked like all because he instantly obeyed something that Jesus told him to do even though he probably didn't understand it. I, I can't count the number of times that I've felt like God has wanted me to do something and many of those times it's been something that I don't really understand. Ring that person. Go back into that shop. Check whether the door's locked. Smile at that lady. And sometimes I've done it. Other times I haven't. But every single time when I've acted in obedience, there's been something that God has done, something unexpected and often something amazing. People have said, I can't believe you've just rung me. My father's just died. There's been other things that were much bigger. Put your house on the market. That house you built and loved, sell it and go to Bible college. Move to Gorakin. There's no job, there's no income, you've got four little kids. Crazy things that at the time made no sense. But God said, go. And when we did, he used that act of obedience to do wonderful things. So what is God calling you to do? Is he asking you to do something that maybe doesn't make sense? If that's you, hear this. Delayed obedience is actually disobedience Jesus said go and the man just got up and he went God wants us to see what he does when we obey and life gets a lot less blurry if we will just do what he asks us to do in our relationships in our walk with him in our decisions in our finances so that's the first thing when life gets blurry. It's all about God's glory. Don't get bogged down in asking why. Don't get stuck in the blame game. Sometimes there's no answers, but God will use everything to show his power. And number two, sometimes we just have to be obedient. Do it straight away. God wants us to see what he does when we obey him. Number three, go home and read the whole story for yourselves. I'm going to give you a condensed version. That's not number three. We'll get to number three in a minute. There were people who knew this guy, neighbours and friends, and they knew that he'd been blind from birth. And when they heard that his eyes had been opened and he could see, they were amazed. And so they took him to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and they asked them a whole lot of questions. Who did it? When did they do it? How did they do it? 
Did they do it on the Sabbath? See, the Jews had very strict laws about what you could not couldn't do on the Sabbath. And it turns out that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders fired all these questions at this poor man who's just been healed. And he must have been thinking, are you guys for real? But look at how he answers them. I love this. It's verse 25. He says, I don't, I don't know about all of that. All I know is this. I was blind and now I can see. He says, are you guys kidding me? Yesterday I was blind, blind. And today I stand before you and I can see. I can see your faces. I can see. And you're asking me all of these questions about what happened and was it right? I don't care about all of that. All I care about is that yesterday I was blind and today I can see. It's quite amazing, isn't it? These religious leaders were so focused on the law and the fact that this was done on the Sabbath that they missed the most important thing, that the son of the living God had just healed this man's eyes. And you're probably thinking, yeah, honestly, you're being ridiculous. But we all do it. We get hung up on the details, on the struggles, on the stresses of our lives. And we miss the fact that the son of the living God is doing stuff around us all the time. Sending the sun and the rain and that amazing eagle that circles above our house protecting us on the roads, prompting that person to ring us right when we need it, blessing us with food and clothes and families. And so number three is this. We need to get our eyes off the details and get them back onto Jesus and be thankful that he is doing good things all the time, all around us. So the guy doesn't give the Pharisees the answer that they're looking for. And they're not very happy. They kick him out of the temple. And when Jesus hears this, he goes and he finds him. This is verse 35. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. You know, we look at this story and we think, wow, that is so amazing. This guy was blind and now he can see. That's so incredible. And it is. But what happened after? What we just read, that's the greatest miracle. See, that guy would have died some time later. His restored sight was an amazing miracle, but it was nothing compared to the miracle that happened in his heart. What happened to his eyes was only temporary. What happened to his heart 
lasts forever. It's eternal. It's amazing that God has the power to change and heal a body, but how much more amazing is it that he can change a heart and take someone from death to life? Every single one of us are born blind to the things of God. We can't see him for who he truly is because of our sin. And then there comes a moment. We have an encounter with God and we say, I believe. And our eyes are truly open to who he is and who we can be in him and we give him our whole lives. I want to close with this story. I know many of you have heard this, but it never fails to move me. There was a boy named John who was born in London in the 18th century. John was the son of a godly, Christ-following mother and the son of a God-hating father. When John was six years old, his mother died and he instantly became angry at the God that she had loved. I mean, if God was so good, he said, why would he take my mother from me? And so at age 11, John joined his father as a merchant sailor and his hate for God grew and festered. He lived in rebellion to everything about God. When John grew up, he became the captain of a slave ship. In the 18th century, over 6 million Africans were stripped from their homes and families and sold into slavery. And John was right in the middle of it. He personally ordered children stripped from their parents, wives abused in horrendous ways, fathers taken from their kids. It was cruel and it was godless. It was John's life. Then one night when he was on a voyage headed back to London, he found himself in a storm that was so severe that he believed he was going to die. He cried out to the God that he had rebelled against his whole life. Lord, save me. John Newton didn't die that night. After the storm, he found a book on the ship and he began to read it. And in the pages of that book, he met Jesus. And he realised that as hateful and as sinful as his life had been, the power of the cross was so much more powerful. He became a follower of Christ. And some time later, he wrote these words. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your word and for the way that it reminds us that out of heartache, out of struggle, out of obstacle, your amazing power is revealed and you, God, are glorified. Lord, so many of us are facing struggles with our health, in our relationships, in our finances. And Lord, we want to stop asking why and trying to find someone or something to blame. We want to say to you this morning, we trust you. We trust that you are in control and that because you are with us, that everything's going to be okay. You are for us. And the best is truly yet to come. We're willing for you to do what you will in our lives, Lord, and we're going to just try to be obedient so that you might be glorified. Be glorified, we ask, in our lives. Lord, we're in awe that you are all-powerful. The miracles that we read about in your word and that many of us have experienced in our lives are just amazing. But Lord, so much more amazing is the fact that you can take a heart that is hard and full of selfishness and sin and you can change it and you can make it new. Because the greater miracle, the eternal miracle is that your amazing grace saved a wretch like me. That we can truly say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And as we continue to pray, maybe for you that's not something you've ever experienced. You've heard about God. Maybe you've been coming to church. But you haven't experienced the miracle of amazing grace in your life. Jesus asked that man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he responded, Lord, I believe. And it wasn't just from his lips, I promise you, it was from his soul. And his life after that was one of worship. In the same way, Jesus stands before you this morning and he asks, do you believe in me? What's your response going to be? Will you say, Jesus, I need you. I've sinned and I'm asking you to save me. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross to pay for my sins and I don't deserve it, but I freely receive it. I give you my whole life. Use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for your power, your love and your amazing grace. Wherever we're at in our journey with you right now, we worship you. Amen. We're going to stand together now and sing that amazing song. Amazing Grace.
How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. <laughs> 